Well, good morning. How's everybody doing? Good? Amen. Amen. We, aren't we uh, so blessed with just a wonderful worship team to get us going into the right place for worship today? We, uh, I'm a little bit biased. Obviously, my wife's up here too, but under the leadership of Josiah, who's on sabbatical right now, we're just... We're just, uh, we have a great team that he's raised up. And so we're just so blessed to have such good leadership here at Renovation Church. But uh, if you don't know me, my name is Pastor Brandon. I'm on staff here. I'm the outreach pastor here. And so um, we just uh, are so grateful, that, again, that you're here. And then I get the opportunity to, to stand in the pulpit of our lead pastor, Pastor Kurt Gentry here. And, um, and it's just, uh, it's a blessing to have you here today. And um, I wrestled with this topic quite a bit this week, to be honest with you. I'm just going to open up uh, with a little bit of vulnerability. And um, this week I had um, probably a lot of um, opposing like uh, agendas going on. I had like multiple things in my schedule that kind of kept us extra busy. And sometimes it's hard to like put those things out of sight, out of mind, even if you're not doing them. You know, like when you've got this going on, like we're moving next weekend, so we're trying to pack the house and we're trying to get all the things going on. And um, outside of ministry, I'm blessed to be able to also do an air conditioning job. So I'm selling air conditioning in this season. If you know, it's 139 million degrees, so air conditioning's really busy right now. And so, and then just kind of preparing for the sermon and wanting to make sure that my whole heart was completely open to hear the voice of the Lord on what is it that you want to say, Lord? Not, as, not, not what is it that, um, that, that you want people to think of you, Brandon. Not, not how do you want to be perceived, Brandon. And it's hard to separate that sometimes. You know, getting up in front of people and grabbing a mic, and it's very hard to put to the side um, performance and how do people perceive you. And so um, I figured I would start out by making fun of myself, which usually helps sometimes with just lowering the standard. So... <laughs> the year was 2019, and I had just been promoted to campus pastor. My, uh, my lead pastor at that church, her name was uh, Pastor Selena Freeman in Missouri. And um, there were multiple times that I had to have serious sit-down conversations about things that we had to fix in Brandon's leadership. And this was one of the, the worst times that I had that sit-down conversation. I opened up service with uh, a certain passage, okay? And I'm gonna read this to you. It won't be on the screen, but this is how I opened up service. It was out of 2 Kings uh, chapter two, and it was verses 23 and 24. It was about the prophet Elisha, okay? And so if you, are, uh, if you have your Bible right there, you can flip to it. it. It'll give you a little bit of reference. That way you at least know I'm not making this up, okay? And so this is 2 Kings chapter two, verses 23 and 24. And the prophet Elisha is about to, He's heading on this journey and he's hiking through, or he's uh, heading to, Jer or he left Jericho to go into Bethel. And it says, Elisha left Jericho and went up to Bethel. And as he was walking along the road, a group of boys from the town began mocking and making fun of him. This prophet's walking along the road, this big group of boys start mocking and making fun of him. How dare them make fun of the prophet? And they're saying, Go away, Baldy, they are chanting. Go away, Baldy, they chanted. Go away, Baldy. How dare these little stinky, undisciplined kids make fun of the prophet, right? See, I feel like this is justified so far. <laughs> and so, and then my dude, see, this is why I knew I was called the ministry, was when I saw how prophets can, can respond and react when people make fun of them, I got plenty of space to be in grace, if you know what I'm saying. So in verse 24, it says, Elisha turned around and looked at these little snotty-nosed kids, Okay, and he cursed them in the name of the Lord. Now check this out. You think movies are bad. 
Then two bears came out of the woods. Two bears came out of the woods and mauled 42 children that day. And so I just opened up service letting people know, call me Baldy one more time. <laughs> and I'm going to see what the Lord's letting me do in this place today. Amen? <laughs> and needless to say, our board wasn't happy with that threatening type of demeanor that I opened up service. So Pastor Kurt, I'd like to say I've grown tremendously since that point. <laughs> I don't know that to be true or not, but um, I'm not preaching out of that text today. So I think I have grown um, just a little bit, but... But that's the theme of Hebrews. It's the theme of our message today is, man, we're all being transformed together. We're in this together. There, there's no one better than the other. There's no place that, that I'm at that you'll never be, that, that we are a body of believers being transformed in the glorious image of our Savior. By his grace, we are saved, and there is nothing that you can do to make yourself better than me and myself better than you, that we are just in this journey together. Just don't call me baldy. Or my boy Dylan back there running sound. Look at that thing. That is a clean bald head he has today. And I am proud. Oh, he, he, he ducked. Don't look. <laughs> oh, my goodness. We better start preaching. Kurt's going to grab the mic. Uh, let's go into Hebrews 10.10 10 together. Hebrews 10.10. 10. Have you enjoyed this month being in Hebrews? Amen. Has anybody read on their own? Yeah, thank you, Steve. One of our board members in the back. Thank you, our faithful board. <laughs> Hebrews 10.10, 10. Uh, if you got your Bible, flip open to that. Come on, let's get in this word together. This, again, this isn't a performance. I'm not putting on a show for you. Like, let's get in this word together this morning. Hebrews 10.10, 10. it always makes me think of Pastor Kurtz. One of his favorite verses uh, is the thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy. It's, it's John 10.10? 10? John 10.10. 10. And so that 10.10 10 always sticks out to me. And so I thought this would be a great way to show honor to our leader here and as to the word of God alone. And so... Hebrews 10.10 10 says, for God's will, everybody say God's will. God's will. It says, for God's will was for us to be made holy. Now you just got to sit in that. God's will was for us to be made holy by the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ. By the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all time. Amen. I mean, that's just one of those verses that there's so much meat right there. There's so much context. There's so much purpose. There's so much for you to take away as a believer that, that again, I know there's a lot of us that, that probably struggle with this sometimes. Definitely, like, in life-changing type of seasons. Like, we're expecting a baby in October. We're moving. Oh, I took on a, a, a second job. Or how am I going to do this? Like, you have all these life decisions that are swirling around, and it's like, well, God, is this your will? Is this your will for my life? And sometimes it's almost like, like checking the weather or something or like checking, you know, my phone or something. I'm waiting for God to like send me this ultimate message that this is his will for my life. And, and really God's will for our life is that we would be made holy no matter what we're doing. You see, I think we, we almost lose sight of really what the real purpose is and we almost analyze our circumstances or situations to, to like redundancy when it's really God is saying more that no matter where you are and what you're doing, I want you to be made holy. That your holiness is more important than actually what it is you're doing. Your, who you are is more important than what you are doing. And so, and I've, I've got to remind myself in that in this, this season. So I know we're in this together where God's will, Brandon, for you is just to be made holy. 
And so that language even side of being made holy, made holy, it's, it, it's perfect and complete because of the sacrifice of our Savior, Jesus Christ. There's nothing you can do to earn that. There's nothing you can do to get more holy on your own. That that being made holy, you are completely made holy and set apart. But then it's also that we are being perfected in that image as we continually go through life. So it is yes and that you are perfect and complete in, in his righteousness and in that blood of Jesus Christ. But we are also being made holy as we go through this life. And so Hebrews 10.10, we're going to open with that, and I'm going to try to close with that. But since the beginning, and um, Hebrews talks a, a, lot of, a lot about this kind of tension that we've lived in. But since the beginning, we've had almost this uh, spiritual ping pong, if you will, between going back and forth between two different cheap forms of faith. You know, and in this spiritual ping pong game that's been played, one side of the ping pong that we go to this side, uh, the two forms of the false faith, one is cheap grace, that we cheapen the grace of Jesus Christ, that, that there is this idea that somehow we can say a prayer and you've just got an automatic ticket into heaven, that that's all you ever have to do, that we've cheapened the grace of Jesus Christ, that somehow that it's, it's just this good old boy system where it's just me and the Lord got something worked out and it, it doesn't take that this transformation of our life. But then we hit this thing back and out throughout time, we go to, to the extreme on this other side where it's like a legalistic faith. Where somehow my good works and my moral upstanding behavior makes me more righteous and in better standing with the Lord. And we go back and forth kind of between this spiritual ping pong game throughout time and church history. And that's some of the concepts that we continue to unpack throughout Hebrews. Uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer said it this way. <clears throat> Cheap grace is grace without discipleship. Cheap grace is grace without discipleship. Grace without the cross. Grace without Jesus Christ living and incarnate in the flesh. Costly grace is the treasure hidden in the field. For the sake of it, a man will gladly go and sell all that he has. It is the pearl of great price to buy which the merchant will sell all his goods. He's getting this out of Matthew 13 where he talks about the merchant that, that is in search for this great prized pearl. And it's in comparison to the kingdom of heaven that, that, that we've all got this like searching inside of us. That we're going through life and we're searching for something of great value. That there has to be more than what there is in this peripheral view in life. That, that, that this merchant is searching for something of great value. And when he finds that, that this, this comparison to the kingdom of heaven, that he takes everything he has and gives it just for that one thing. That cheap grace says that, it, that the cross of Jesus Christ doesn't cost us everything. He'll take you just as you are, which is true. But he also expects you not to stay where he found you. You see, this kingdom of heaven, this, this relationship with Jesus Christ, it's going to cost you everything. But in return, he'll give you everything that you never could have on your own. And so what you lose is, 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 in comparison, tiny to what you gain. And that's where we are starting off today. And let's go into, um, we're going to back up to go forward again. Let's go into Hebrews chapter 8, verses 1 and 2 together. If you got your Bible, flip open to there. We're going to be in Hebrews chapter 8, verses 1 
and 2. Hebrews chapter 8, this is what it says. It opens up, it says, here is the main point. Everybody say main point. I love this about the author of Hebrews. Is it, 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 one through seven is building up to this, and it lets us know, the author is letting us know, like, this is the main point. If you have missed what we've been building up to, like this chapter eight, verses one and two right here, he says, this is the main point. The main point. Just get straight to the, to the reason for all that they've been saying. Here's the main point. We have a high priest who sat down in the place of honor beside the throne of the majestic God in heaven. You just got to taste that for a second. Think about that. Meditate that. What is, what is the author really saying right there? That we have a high priest. We have a savior who gave his life up. That, the, that sacrificed his life and sat down in this place of, of royalty. Like not stood up, not continued to work, not continued to, to, to earn this for us, like gave his life and then sat down like the work is finished. That there's nothing that you can do on your own that if you can rest in his finished work on the cross is what the, the writer is telling us right here, that, that he sat down in the place of honor beside the throne of the majestic God in heaven. And there he ministers in the heavenly tabernacle, the true place of worship that was built by the Lord and not human hands. You see, what's, what's really neat about this is one through seven, it's, it's building us up to this point, the main point, if you will. See, one through seven is lining up for us that the old covenant, that the, the sacrifices, the temple, the priests, the, the continual rituals, the traditions, that they weren't enough for you to earn righteousness. That this sacrifice and the things that we, that we were doing ritualistically in the old covenant, it was not good enough for us to be cleansed of our sin permanently. And so it, it's reminding us that this old covenant, the temples, the tabernacles, the priests, the sacrifice, the, the, the behavior modification, the legalism, the trap that that covenant drew you into... This behavior modification system that if I externally behave a certain way that I'm, I'm internally righteous, it doesn't work. That there is only one sacrifice that was good enough, that was pure enough, that was, that was enough to wipe away the sins that you and I are guilty of. And so here's our main point. If you're not catching on kind of what this main point is, I've, I, I've drilled out a, a main point for us today and here it is right now. The main point is that Jesus has done for us what we cannot do for ourselves. Amen? That Jesus has done for us what we cannot do for ourselves. And again, if I'm not careful, like one of those traps that I slip into is the performance-driven side of Brandon. The, the, I want the world to see this version of Brandon. I want people to think this way of Brandon. And it's hard to stop that train of thought sometimes and, and go, okay, Lord, like, I need to rest in your finished work. Because when I rest in what Christ has done for me, that version of Brandon is actually who helps people. 
But when I'm more concerned about what I can do and what I can achieve and what performance that I can put on or or what attention that I can get, that is when I lead people away from the love of Christ and away from the finished work of God. And so I've got to focus and meditate on that, that the main point of all this is that Jesus has already done for us, for me, for you, what we could not do for ourselves. Let's continue reading together. Uh, Hebrews chapter 8, verse 10. Hebrews chapter 8, verse 10. 10. It says, but this is the new covenant. This is the new covenant. I will make with the people of Israel on that day, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their minds and I will write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. And so in this new covenant, this covenant is a, it's a formal covenant binding agreement, a pledge between two parties, okay? A covenant is a lifelong agreement which two parties, they, they pledge themselves, they commit themselves for life no matter what happens that I completely give myself to this covenant. The greatest illustration that we have of that covenant is marriage. It's the, the highest expression of the kind of love that our Savior has for us, that our Father has for us, is the marriage relationship between a man and a woman that we share together, that love, that intimacy, but that commitment. As Pastor Kurt recently said to me, that, that, that it's some, somebody you can depend on, that you can trust in, that, that you know no matter what has happened, that I'm going to be right there for you. That's the kind of covenant that this is, that this isn't... Um, like me, I, I make fun of myself, but um, I'm a fair weather sports fan, you know, and, and when the Cardinals are doing good, all of a sudden I'm a big Cardinals fan, but until they're doing good, I don't even like them, I don't watch them, I don't even know who their players are, but, but sometimes I think that we treat our relationships a little bit more fair weather. We treat our relationships between you and I a little bit more like if you can benefit me, then all of a sudden I'm your fan and I, I love you, I'm committed to you, but You see, that's a perversion of what the kind of love is that our Father has for us. You see, we should have a covenant, a bind, a a belonging together, a a resiliency in our relationship that says, I'm there for you regardless what happens, that there is nothing that's going to break this pledge, this bond that we have. And by that love between believers, the lost world will want, I want what you guys have. Amen? Amen? And so when we are reading in 8.10 at that second half, it says, I will write um, on them. I will write, throw that back up one more time for me. I will write on them. Uh, I will put my laws in their minds and I will write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. And so this verse is actually quoting Jeremiah. And so just like our Pastor Kurt did such a great job that this this and, and Dr. Dan, the, the Old Testament, the New Testament, it's all one big story that Jesus just didn't parachute in, all of a sudden save the day because things didn't work out. Like from the very beginning that this is all interconnected, that, that it is a purposed plan from the beginning of time. And in Jeremiah, the prophet Jeremiah has saying the same thing. It will not, and I'm just going to read this. It won't be on the screen, but in 31, 32, it says, it will not be like the covenant I made with your ancestors when I took them by the hand out of Egypt. It won't be like that covenant, he said, because they broke the covenant. I was a husband to them. There's that marriage language, declares the Lord. 
In verse 33 in Jeremiah, it says, this is the covenant that I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. Here it is. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. You see, what's interesting about this uh, hearts, this minds kind of language in the new covenant the new covenant, the blood covenant, the sacrifice of Jesus, that this blood does more than change our external behavior. It transforms our heart and our minds. That this new covenant is this transformation and of hearts and minds, that, that it would be more than just this behavior modification system. It would be more than just a, a Sunday list of do's and don'ts. It would be more than that, that I would be transformed from the inside out, that my mind and my heart would no longer be in the same condition than it was when he found me. And so I pointed, I pointed out at the beginning that there were two uh, maybe false forms of faith, I guess you could say, and... Uh, the first one was cheap grace, and we kind of talked about it, a grace that doesn't cost you everything, a grace that doesn't change your heart and your mind. That's a cheap grace. The second form is, is legalism, and legalism is, um, I'll give you a definition, is a belief that you are made right or morally superior to others by your good behavior. It's a belief that something you do sets you above others it's one of the greatest complaints that the world has with the church these days it feels like a lot of times that we believe our our christian life sets us above others versus as holy people it sets us apart from their sin you see there is a difference when thinking we're above other people or just apart from the sin that they live in because we are called as believers to be in the world, but not of the world. But if you are above people, you are not in the world, you are above people. And so it is a very important thing that we, that we live in this tension and this balance between everything's okay and permissible, you can live any way that you want, versus this other side of legalism where it's just a behavior modification and I'm holy and righteous and I'm not having anything to do with you because you're not. And it's, it's like this ping pong back and forth type of behavior system where everything's okay and nothing's okay and like we just stand out. And he says in this new covenant that our hearts and our minds will be transformed And I think when we live different than the people that we live among, that's what sets us apart from them and makes them want what we have. Amen? John Wesley said it like this. We, uh, we Nazarenes, we love some John Wesley. So this is one of his quotes right here. We should be rigorous in judging ourselves and gracious in judging others. See, sometimes we get it backwards. We get it backwards. We think that holiness is the way to Christ. When the truth is, is Christ, a life in Christ is the way to holiness. And we think that there's some reason like our behavior adjustments or modifications make us more holy or something. But when you are living in Christ, your behavior, your life, your mind, your heart, they transform and it changes just how you live. Are you guys with me? Amen. 
Legalism is concerned simply with the external conformity. It's blind to internal motivations. This spirit of legalism, I guess you could say, that, that sometimes infects churches, that sometimes infects believers. It's, it's more worried about the condition of how my behavior is perceived, the appearance of what people think of you, Brandon, versus actually what the internal motivations of your heart really are. Hebrews 10.10. 10. Hebrews 10.10. 10. It says, for God's will, everybody say God's will. Was for us to be made holy by the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ. I'm gonna invite Adrian up to play keys. I'm gonna try to close this over the next 10 or 15 minutes through a little bit of worship time and slowing down together. And I want you to think about that. I want you to think about that holiness as God's will is that we would be made holy. You know, repeated throughout scripture a lot is that we would be hidden in Christ, that we would that we would die to this life, that my, my new life is, is hidden in Christ, that, that somehow my, my holiness is somehow hidden when I put my life in Christ. Hearts and minds, hearts and minds. See, I think, thank you. I think about this uh, new covenant See, in the New Covenant, it talks about the transformation of our hearts and our minds. And some of us might know this even as a, maybe a, a, it's a recent military approach. Instead of by brute force, we go in and we try to change hearts and minds and territory we're taking over. We try to convince the enemy combatant, the people on the other side of the team, we try to change how they view us. They try to change and to see our approach to life, that our, our freedom, our society, that our system is better than theirs, not by brute force, but by changing hearts and minds. And sometimes I think us as believers that we lose sight of how effective it is when we let people's hearts and minds be changed by the way that we treat them. I think we forget that we're in a spiritual battle. You know, we're out there standing on the corner and we're, we're, we're screaming that they should change the way that they're living or turn or burn was a popular 90s type of slogan or, or, or all of these thoughts. We, we, we yell about how they're living and you're living in sin, but we're not worried about their hearts and their minds being changed and transformed. You see, we're trying to force our way upon them versus allowing them to see that our way actually is just better. Here's my verse as this first song, it's, I just want you to join in meditation. So if you would close your eyes, if you wanna open your Bibles to this verse too, that's fine. But Colossians 3.3, 3. Colossians 3.3 3 says this, for you died to this life. You died to this life. And your real life is hidden with Christ in God. 
And so, Lord, as we just pause all together as a body of believers and we reflect on our lives, Lord, I ask you to show me if there's any area of my life that I got to lay down today. Maybe any area of my life that I've been giving energy, time, and attention to that, that you've asked me to lay that down. Lord, open us up. God, I give you what I can today. Lord, let us just hear your voice this morning. Scattered ashes that I hid away, I From the corners of my deepest shame The empty places where I've worn your name Show me the love I say I believe Help me to lay it down Oh Lord, I lay it down Oh let this be Where I die My Lord with thee Crucified My kingdom's fall Once and for all Once and for all There is victory in my Savior's loss And in the crimson flowing from the cross Pour over me, pour over me, yeah. Oh, let this be where I die. Jesus. My Lord with thee, crucified. Be lifted high as my kingdom's fall once and for all, once and for all. Oh Lord, I lay it down. Oh Lord, I lay. It's down, oh help me to lay it down, oh Lord I lay it down, oh let this be where I die, my Lord with thee.
get high as my kingdoms fall. Oh, once and for all, once and for all. Hebrews 10, 16. It says, this is the new covenant. That this is the new covenant that I will make with my people on that day, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their hearts and I will write them on their minds. That this new covenant is the transformation of our hearts and of our minds that that we would be holy people, that we would be made holy and set apart, sanctified. That the power of sin would no longer control us and have us have a slave to that sin, that we would be broken to the bondage that our that our minds have been in, that our hearts have been in. Lord, that in this new covenant, this blood, Lord, that you shed for us. It's almost impossible to grasp really what that means, Lord. So I'm asking everybody to go ahead and just stand up and we're gonna do a little bit more worship and these altars are always open. It's one thing I love about the Church of the Nazarene that we haven't we haven't abandoned the altar. It doesn't matter if this is your first day, it doesn't matter that if you helped build this church however many years ago, these altars are wide open for you. It doesn't matter what season of life you're in, it doesn't matter what's going on, that we all are continually being transformed and changed together. And so maybe you carried in a burden today that's not yours to carry any longer. Maybe, maybe there is something going on in your thought life or in your heart that that isn't Christ-like. Maybe it's not what Christ has for you. Maybe you've been carrying something that isn't yours to carry anymore. These altars are a great place to have that conversation. You can have that conversation at your seat. You can have that conversation in the bathroom later. It doesn't matter. This is just a good place where you can have that conversation. The main point. The main point is that Jesus did for us what we could not do for ourselves. And that's available to each and every one of us. That sanctification, that holiness to be made holy. It's available to you and I equally in here. The only requirement that it takes is that you lay down whatever you've been holding on to that's been in the way of that. The Holy Spirit's a gentleman, won't force you, He'll nudge you. He'll poke and prod at that heart a little bit. That grace will start making the temperature in the room a little bit hotter sometimes where you're uncomfortable and you're not sure why. But a lot of times it's because he's trying to tell you there's something that you're supposed to be laying down that's not yours to carry any longer. And he loves you so much that he has you here today out of all the places you could have been, all the things that could have distracted you and pulled you away, you're here for some reason today. You heard this, 
message that he put on my heart, but this entire month's sermon that's coming together. So I just wonder if there's anything that, like me, that you maybe need to lay down today as well. This is our last worship song, and then we'll wind service down after that.